You're listening to Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD, Ask the Expert. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. My name is Robin Maggio. Is my high school student ready for college? And is my college student ready to go back? It's a pleasure to introduce today's expert, Dr. Ari Tuckman. Dr. Tuckman, a clinical psychologist, he's the author of three books, Understand Your Brain, Get More Done, More Attention, Less Deficit, and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD. He is in private practice in Westchester, Pennsylvania, a board member of CHAD and co-chair of the CHAD Conference Committee. Again, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Tuckman. Hi there, it is great to be here. And this is a topic that I get a lot in my office. Often it's, uh, you know, the parents of high school seniors, um, hopefully it's not in the summer before they're about to go away that this comes up, but preferably it's high, the parents of high school juniors or even sophomores. So that gives us some time to sort of work on this. So as part of my practice, I see not only high school students who are looking towards going away to college, but I also see what I call sort of the wayward college students, meaning the folks who went off to college and for some combination of reasons, somewhere between a semester or three or four, things just aren't working out. And either the school asks them to take time off or the parents say this isn't working and the parents say you got to take some time off. And then they come back home and everybody's kind of rather distraught about that whole thing. And then the goal is to try to figure out what happened and how do we get things back on track. Now, the good news is that often for these wayward college students, the story has a happy ending. It just sort of sucks in the middle, right? So the goal for today is to help the parents of high school students basically skip that bad part in the middle, but also for the parents of college students, or if you're a parent of a high school student who finds yourself the parent of one of these college students in some years down the road, to know what you can do about it, that it is not at all the end of the world, and that this is a learning opportunity and that things really can work out better in the end. So let's kind of go through the slides here. You know, there's this kind of kind of like a good news, bad news here. So the good news is that all the accommodations and the extra support and the services and I don't know, the tutors and the SAT prep and the college application, you know, advisors and all that stuff is great. And it can help students with ADHD or other, you know, learning difficulties perform closer to the level of their real abilities through middle, elementary school, middle school, and high school. So the good news of it is that we have a lot more students making it into college and feeling like college really is a viable option. So that's the good news. Now, the bad news of that is that a lot of that support and structure that helped these students be successful in high school and therefore get the grades and the scores and whatnot to get into college, a lot of that stuff kind of drops away once they're actually at college. And all of a sudden, then they're dropped onto a college campus, which really is like one of the most tempting and distracting places in the world is kind of like doing calculus at Club Med. You know, there's like, you know, parties and hot guys and girls walking around and all sorts of fun stuff and nobody pays attention to when you go to bed and all that. And yet somehow they're supposed to like sit down and do boring homework. For some students, 
they can handle that well. But then there are some students who can't. Those who can't, who are not yet able to handle that, they, they then wind up back at home. You know, maybe they're working, maybe they're taking some classes locally at like a community college or somewhere else. And then they kind of figure some things out and then eventually they go back. But frankly, I think a preemptive gap year is probably better than an unexpected or kind of a forced gap year. And we're going to talk about kind of, you know, some things of that, um, you know, some what some of your options might be in that regard. Part of the problem, though, for teenagers, and this is, you know, true for all teenagers, but especially for teenagers with ADHD, is that they legitimately think that they're doing better than some parents or teachers think that they're doing, that they're kind of notorious for underrating the extent of their ADHD symptoms or the impact of their ADHD symptoms. So in my office, it looks like this, me asking the teenager, hey, how's it going? Oh, pretty good, no problem. And then I ask mom, so how's it going? Did he mention he has three Ds, right? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners here can relate to that little scenario. You know, on the one hand, we could say that this is like psychological denial or something. But like, honestly, I think it's more neurological than psychological. I think that truly there's an element of ADHD that impairs their ability to really have a clear sense of how they're doing. How am I doing with stuff? What's going well? What's not going as well? What isn't going well? Why is it not? What can I do to make it better? If your teenager thinks they're doing, you know, good enough, or at least certainly better than you think they're doing, then it becomes this kind of like what I call much ado about nothing. It's like, God, mom, dad, just leave me alone. It's fine. I don't understand why you're so concerned. I'll get the, you know, I'll just do the homework and I'll get my grades grades up. You know, with this genuine belief that things really will get better, or at least a genuine desire for you to stop annoying them about it. But but I think with some genuine belief that like, yeah, it's going to be fine. I just need to do it until they get to that later point in the future, and then they don't have the options that they hoped or thought that they had. So this then leads to that kind of typical power struggle, which of course is true for all families with teenagers, but but especially for students with ADHD, that they have that same high desire for independence, that you know they want to be the masters of their own destiny, and yet they have less of an ability to really do it well. That if you kind of leave them to their own devices, they don't get done enough of the things that they need to get done. Um, So as much as you would love to be, you know, fired from your job of homework monitor, it doesn't feel kind of wise to do that. um, Because, you know, unfortunately, history has told you it doesn't really work out. So as the parent, predictably, understandably, you want to have more control over what your teenager does. Um, but equally predictably and understandably, the teenager wants to make their own choices. So that's the tug of war for every family with a teenager, but especially for families where that teenager has ADHD. The goal then, as the parent of one of these teenagers, which really I think is true for, for the parents of every teenager who's looking to go away to college, Um, is to really have some very clear conversations about what it is that you need to see to feel confident that if we dump you and a bunch of, you know, suitcases on some college campus somewhere, that that would be a positive experience for you, that you would enjoy it, you would do well, you would manage to get the grades, etc., 
to keep yourself there for the next semester. Of course, the goal is not to get into college. The goal is to stay in college, or at least stay long enough to do what it is that you want to do there. So when it comes to talking specifically about what it is that you need to see, I think you need to be really kind of, you know, again, like specific about it. So it can't be, you need to get better grades, because I don't quite know what that, what does better mean? Now we're going to argue about whether B minuses are better enough, um, whether C's are okay, whether colleges, but that's gym, really colleges don't care about gym, but maybe they do, I don't know. And now we're having a, a debate about opinions. So instead, make it very clear, we need to see you know, all Bs except for maybe one C or something. So very kind of clear and objective. And to really focus on what matters most, meaning probably if we're talking about, you know, a kid going away to college, we're talking about grades, really, like how are they handling their grades? And we're going to talk a little bit about the process that students use to get their grades because that matters too. But what I would suggest putting less emphasis on is stuff like what does your room look like? You know, if their room is a mess, they're going to have to deal with a roommate about it. You don't have to argue with them about that. Their roommate will give them a hard time if it's necessary. Um, stuff like making their bed. I don't know. This is like my personal bias here. But like, seriously, if the biggest problem you have with your teenager is that they don't make their bed in the morning, your life is way too easy. So let's really focus on the things that matter the most. Just stuff related to grades, is stuff related to safety, is stuff related to... I don't know, respect and personal integrity. And that means letting some of the less important things go so you can focus on the things that matter the most. And then to create really kind of concrete requirements. Like if you want more freedom, then this is what needs to happen. If you want me to stop checking your homework, here's what I need to see for this many times when I do check your homework. So start this process early and keep talking about it. You know, this is not something that you just talk about the summer at, after graduation. You know, I mentioned that the process is important also. So what I mean is this, not just what grade did you get on that paper, right? That's the outcome. What grade did you get? But, but how did you get the grade? If you had a five-page paper due on Friday, and you kind of worked on a little bit on Tuesday, and then you did some more writing on Wednesday, and you polished it up on Thursday, and then you handed it in, and by the way, you got to bed on time every night, that's one way to get a B on a paper. Another way to get a B on a paper is to forget that you have it until Thursday night, and then in a panic, stay up till one in the morning, and because you're smart and maybe a good writer, you can manage to kind of cobble together a paper that gets you a B. So on the one hand, as far as the college is concerned, I mean, a B is a B however you got it. But the difference is, the student who worked on that paper for three days and got a B on it, I'd bet a lot more money on that kid being successful in college than I would bet on the student who scrambled at the last minute, forgot he had it, maybe needed to get an extension, or just barely managed to kind of scrape it together before the deadline. And the problem with having that bad process is that when the demands scale up in college, when you have more to do and less structure and less oversight, a bad process is less likely to scale up well, as opposed to having a good process is more likely to work out well when the demands go up. A good process also makes you less dependent on good luck and you know enough stars aligning that like, 
oh, thank God, this was a topic I knew something about, or I was able to find this really great website that had all the information I needed. An analogy I use here is, is this, that if I went to the bar tonight and I got completely just like hammered out of my head, but then I drove my home, managed to not get arrested, and I didn't kill anybody on the way. Now, if we look at the outcome, frankly, it worked out fine, right? No problem. No harm, no foul. I don't understand why you're giving me such a hard time about drunk driving. Clearly, I'm good at it. And I think you just need to chill out because this whole drunk driving thing, I think is frankly kind of overrated because look at that. It worked out fine. Right now, that would be insane to take that position because clearly drunk driving is incredibly risky legally and medically. It's really no different than waiting to the last minute to scramble together a paper and hoping that it works out. Right. So you can get away with it. Like you can do a decent amount of drunk driving, unfortunately, before something terrible happens. But that doesn't mean that you should continue to do it. By the same token, a student who uses really bad processes or relies on a lot of annoying and reminding and bugging from you to get things done is probably not going to do as well independently on a college campus. So this has to do with not just sort of daily stuff like getting into bed, getting out of bed, getting to school on time, doing homework, getting to work, remembering to bring things to and from school, et cetera, et cetera. But also the whole kind of college application process. Like how does this student handle the process of applying to schools? How do they handle, you know, taking SATs and study courses and stuff like that? You know, for a lot of these students, that whole college application process is somewhat kind of diagnostic or maybe predictive of how they're going to do in college. So if they don't handle that process well, that is not a good sign for how they're going to handle actually being at some college somewhere. I spend a lot of time talking with my clients, teenagers and adults, about like basic kind of lifestyle stuff. So things like it's all that boring stuff that we should all do better and whatever, but it but it's true. So like getting enough sleep, eating something that looks remotely like a healthy diet, exercising sometimes, stress management. In the case of teenagers, maybe more so like manageable substance abuse. I won't say no substance abuse because I'm not that naive, but, but hopefully like manageable substance use. How do they handle media and social media and cell phones and whatever? Balancing work and play so that they get enough of, of each. Unfortunately, Having ADHD, especially if it's poorly managed, makes it harder to manage all these lifestyle factors, which then contribute to this person performing worse. So if you were distractible and forgetful on eight hours of sleep, you're going to be even more distractible and forgetful on five hours of sleep. It just makes that bad situation worse in terms of cognitively, in terms of their intellectual abilities, emotionally more irritable, less well-balanced, more kind of emotionally impulsive, psychologically in terms of feeling more anxious or depressed or hopeless, socially in terms of how they respond to others. As much as these lifestyle factors can take away from performance, they're a major point of intervention. You can, you know, there's a lot to be gained from even partial progress on this one. So keep beating on that drum is what I'm saying. Also for these students, because I meant, you know, I mentioned that they tend to sort of underestimate the struggles that they're having and think that they're doing fine, you know, because they don't feel that they need the help, they, as a result, sort of resist 
the interventions because like they don't need it. Part of preparing your team for college or independent living in general is to help them understand their ADHD, not in, obviously not to make them feel bad about it, but, but to just sort of understand it because for all of us, accurate self-knowledge is a key component to success. So we all have to figure out what am I good at? What am I not as good at? What do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? The things that I'm not really that good at, what strategies can I use to get those things done anyway? So whether it's things like, how do I remember what to do? Or what's my best way to study for a test? Or if I have a paper to write, how do I organize my notes? There's lots of ways to do it, but what works best for me? I think part of our job as parents then is to help our kids sort of understand themselves better. And one of the ways to do this is to focus on specific examples, but then really also more broadly on patterns. Because, you know, sometimes what happens is when our teenagers get defensive, what they'll say is, oh, well, yeah, that paper was late, but, you know, that was because I had that soccer game. Okay, well, but then what about this paper? But, okay, yeah, that one was also late, but, you know, that was because, um, I don't know, whatever, I had that other history test. Okay, well, then what about this one? Well, that one, you know, and then there's like, there's always something, there's always something. Focus on the pattern and to say like, you know what, we don't need to argue individual examples because maybe there are good reasons for some of these, but there's like enough of these examples that there seems to be a pattern here and it keeps kind of biting you in the butt and we need to, we need to understand why that is. And if you can understand it, the better you can understand the cause of a problem, the more control you have over your options for next time, the more power you have to make it work out differently on the next one. Which then brings us to kind of this idea of active problem solving. When I talk about ADHD, often I talk a lot about executive functions and active problem solving is not really one of the executive functions, but, but I think it's, it's incredibly important because it, it enables someone to address whatever the problem happens to be. So I think in some ways this is one of, it's almost like a meta skill, if you know what I mean, that it's, it's like if some sort of a problem happens, how do you approach it? As opposed to if this specific problem happens, specifically this is what you do. So it's kind of like that old adage, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. It's like that kind of a thing that to try to foster a mindset in your kids that to be able to recognize when there is a problem. What I'm doing here is not really getting me the results that I'm hoping for. Something is not working out as expected. And to then do what needs to be done to address it. And some of that might start with just asking around a little bit, comparing notes, seeing other people's experiences. Or like, you know, asking if we're talking about academics, asking questions in class, or if they're not doing well, to start asking more questions in class, to talk to the teacher in class or out of class, to seek tutoring, which could be, you know, a buddy of theirs who's just having an easier time in the class. It could be an upperclassman. If we're talking about college students, it could be, is there like a math center on campus or a tutoring center? Or putting in that extra effort. You know what? I don't know what the hell we're doing in this class. I need to go, go back a few weeks in my notes, review and see what, like, what am I missing here? Or... I need to go to the book and, and check this out, or I need to go to Khan Academy and see what they have, or I need to just throw it into YouTube and see what I can find. 
and that this active problem solving is really a crucial skill because a lot of the times when I see students struggle, it's because of this. It's that they don't have this kind of active approach to say something is not going well. I need to do something about it now, not down the road when it's too late, but like now I need to get going on this and do something. You know, we have tons and tons and tons of research that shows that medication is among the most effective for treating ADHD, that most people with ADHD tend to respond pretty well to it, tends to have some pretty sizable benefits. The good news is we have medication that works. Now, the bad news is that teens and then especially, you know, college students who don't live with mom and dad who are overseeing their medication are, again, notorious for not taking their medication. So a lot of teenagers stop taking their medication or, you know, college students stop taking them without a recognition that, you know, a big part of the reason of how I wound up on this college campus in the first place is because I had medication that helped me do better in high school so that I could get the grades to actually get in here. Some of these students, they just don't see the need, kind of like we talked about. It's like, I'm fine. I don't know why I need this medication. Others, they just don't like the idea. You know, like it's this thing of like, if to take medication means you have to admit there's something wrong with you because that's, of course, why you're taking the medication. You know, for a lot of our teenagers, they see this as really kind of like, like there's some moral stigma attached to it or something, as opposed to, hell, if they had like seasonal allergies and they had to take Claritin or something, I don't think any of them would feel kind of bad about themselves for it. They might feel annoyed that they have to take it, but they just don't like the idea of taking medication. They're like, you know what? I'm on my own. Everyone's off my back. I'm going to do it my way this time. And I totally get that of why they would want to. And yet, not taking medication is often the first step towards things beginning to go badly. And therefore, it's often one of the things that I kind of work on most with my kind of wayward college students is getting them back on the medication that was helpful if, if they need it. And for the high school students to recognize that it's helpful. And if they don't like the side effects, to then work with their prescriber to get medication that does the good stuff that you want it to without too many of the side effects that are problematic. Now, if we're going to talk about ADHD medication in college campuses, not to like state the like ridiculously obvious, but students with ADHD should not under any circumstances give away their medication. An even more terrible idea is to sell their medication. I know that there's ADHD medication that floats around college campuses. Mostly, it's really not done with largely nefarious intent, but it's still, besides being illegal and then potential legal problems, it also potentially runs you afoul of the college's rules and you know, potentially gets you kicked off. But it also means that when you give away pills, it means you don't have as many of the pills that, in theory, you should be taking yourself every day anyway, or at least most days. And, you know, Chad actually sort of partnered with some other organizations to address this concern about ADHD medication sort of floating around college campuses in ways that it should not be. So definitely talk to your teenager about it and really instill in them the fact that this is like serious business. It might seem like no big deal to just give your friend a couple pills, but like seriously, this can be a very, very big deal. If you get caught, it could be really big trouble. So, um, but 
then kind of as, you know, sort of a, a couple final points here. There are students who are indeed meant for college in the sense that the kinds of jobs that they want are the kinds of jobs that you need a college degree for, but they're not yet ready at this moment, graduating high school, let's say, ready for college. And if that's the case, it is much better to take a planned gap year before they go to college than it is to take a forced gap year after spending some time that didn't work out. There are some just incredible gap year programs that are available out there that are tremendous experiences. Frankly, I wish I could get someone to pay for me to go on some of these, but some of them can be incredibly expensive also. So, you know, see what's out there. And some of them that are expensive might be worth it. You know, you can also create your own gap year program with a combination of doing some sort of, you know, work, you know, locally, do some volunteering. Now, you don't get paid for volunteering, obviously, but it's probably much more meaningful work. It'll be more interesting because if it's not, you don't show up for free and or taking some classes at some local college while you live at home. I have a saying, there's nothing like a crappy job to convince someone of the value of an education. So working at, you know, Target or, I don't know, around here we have Wawa or 7-Eleven or Circle K or whatever, you know, working some crummy job is a good way to see that, oh yeah, this is why it's helpful to study. But what it does is it creates kind of a stepped transition from living at home, going to high school to living in a dorm, being in college. That That's a huge leap and some students can't clear that all in one shot. So having a bit of a middle step where, yes, they have more freedom and that's good, you know, while they're living at home and working and taking classes or whatever, but they also have more responsibility. So they have to get themselves up. They have to get themselves out. Maybe they have to cook a meal or two a week. They have to do their laundry. So it's kind of like you're building towards that freedom and independence that they'll have on a college campus. Some additional resources here. So CPAM, which is the Coalition to Prevent ADHD Medication Misuse um, at CPAM.org, um, is has some good information about, you know, basically not sharing your medication. So if you want to scare your kids a little bit, that might be a good place to start. Some other options like the JED Foundation has this, this program that, that's called set to go and they've got a bunch of information on their website. So settogo.org about kind of making that transition from high school to college. In terms of gap year programs, obviously Google or whatever will will bring you lots of options, but AmericanGap.org or TeenLife.com or StudyAbroad101.com all have good information. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Tuckman. That was some really wonderful information. It's important to treat ADHD to help improve health and longevity. Research shows that treating ADHD, along with its related health risks, can add 9 to 13 years to the lifespan of children and adults diagnosed with the disorder. To learn more about ADHD and treatment options, visit Chad's website at helpforadhd.org. Thank you for listening to Chad's National Resource Center on ADHD, Ask the Expert.